Hello everyone and welcome back to the airport, uh, your favourite place for all the latest goings on with the Royal Family and we have quite the lineup for you this week. I'm of course Omid Scobie, joined by the lovely Maggie Really. How are you doing this week? Hi Omid, so good. It, it is jolly season now. Yeah, I think we sort of, we've officially entered the countdown for Christmas. Yeah, I'm not rushing um, it now, we I'm... can just like dive full in. And we had a great week, you know, of course here in the UK we're just sort of getting over the, the incredible news that we are the first country to uh, try or take on the, the Pfizer vaccine for coronavirus. And those begin uh, administering here in just a few days. So it's, yeah. uh, it's a time of change. I think everyone's very sort of like upbeat. We've just come out of a second lockdown. Um, all, all good reasons to feel very hopeful. I know, wasn't that just the news that we needed right now? I mean, coming into the holiday season, and, and I know, you know what, again, and especially for people in America right now, they keep warning that it's going to be, you know, a really tough few months, and we're not out of the woods yet. You still have to social distance and wear your mask and follow government guidelines, but just knowing that there is sort of this light at the end of the tunnel and knowing that it's like, all right, I can do this for a few more months if it means that, you know, in not, in not too many uh, more months from now, people... Are going to get vaccinated you know mass vaccinations are going to happen it's just kind of like the the christmas present that i think the world needs absolutely i think hope has been the one thing that has kept us all going through this year and every every sort of step of the way there's sort of like a an extra grain to sort of give us or reinforce yeah. that hope that we have <laughs> just um, that little are, of crumb course. of hope just let you survive one more month <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But Christmas is very much on everyone's minds, um, especially for members of the royal family. We've of course had the news from Buckingham Palace that the couple will be breaking away from their Sandringham Christmas tradition for the first time in over 30 years to celebrate at Windsor Castle, of course, where they're currently staying and where they have been sort of isolating away, but continuing, or at least Her Majesty's been continuing with her royal duties, you know. Christmases haven't happened at Windsor Castle since 1987, of course, before the great fire that took place mm. there and, of course, forced tradition to change and move the family uh, festivities over to Sandringham. So this will kind of bring things back to uh, a time in the past. Um, but, of course, you know, they want to stay safe. That's what the palace have told us, that it's really the top of priorities for the Queen and Prince Philip. Um, and that also means that some changes will happen, Maggie. We will not have the annual Christmas service mm. at church, which we usually see at Sandringham. People, of course, line up for many hours outside. We often get a glimpse of all of the royal family members together that year, because of course this year, family members will be separately. But of course, the palace do say that the queen will still have her own private uh, worship at Windsor Castle's chapel there. So they're really trying to sort of do the best they can in the current circumstances, but it will yeah. be the first time that the queen has been away from her family at Christmas. And that will no doubt be a strange time for her. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It's something that everyone's dealing with right now. You know, they're, they're warning people not to travel to see their families. I know I'm not going back to the States to see my family this year for Christmas. It just, it, it feels like the right thing to do is just to spend this time and you know not see large groups of people um, to really make sure that we stay safe through this winter. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I, I do want to say I was feeling bad for the, you know, the queen. This has got to be very hard not seeing her family. But what I do love is that they have just gone all in on the Christmas decorations at Windsor Castle to make up for it. <laughs> I mean, the photos are so incredible, and I like this. You know, I told my parents the same thing. I said, 
since we're all not getting together this year, let's just all go so all in on our household decorations. Just all the frivolous things that you might not buy. This is the year to buy them, to make your home jolly. And Windsor Castle is no different. Um, do you know, okay, the, the, their big tree, right? The one that's like the biggest one they have there. Guess how tall it is. I, well, I mean, it's in, it's in St. George's Hall, which is, of course, where the Sussexes had their wedding reception. It has huge ceilings. So I'm, I'm imagining it's going to be something enormous. Enorm enormous. It, it's 20 feet high. Wow. As someone who recently went and got their Christmas tree and tried to shove it into an Uber, let me tell you, that is one <laughs> big Christmas tree. <laughs> I will say, though, Maggie, your Christmas tree does have a royal connection of sorts. Does it? Well, you went to... Oh, you you're right. I went to Pines and Needles. That's it. So you went to Pines and Needles in Battersea. And of yes. course, that is famously where Harry and Meghan got their first ever Christmas tree together in the winter of 2016 when Meghan was over here in London. No one saw them at the time doing it. It only came out long afterwards. But that has made that place really one of the staple spots. I mean, obviously a lot of celebrities already go there, Elton John and others. Mm. But I think the Sussexes are really one of the reasons why so many people are going there now every year. Well, that's why I had to get my tree from there, obviously. <laughs> Nothing but pines and needles for me. <laughs> But as you say, the Royal Collection Trust have done a fantastic job decorating Windsor Castle. There are six trees in total. It's actually open to the public at the moment. Of course, very social distance. There are guidelines in place. But many areas of Windsor Castle are open to the public. It has, of course, been a very difficult year for all of the organisations, uh, historic royal palaces, the Royal Collection Trust, who, of course, benefit greatly from the tourism that comes into many of the rural residences. So this is a really fantastic opportunity to of course support them, but also to see a really incredible display. I love the mini trees that they have in the Queen's Gallery. They're like three identical trees in a row. It's, it's very cool. They did it really well. You know, it, it's jolly, it's festive, it's kind of classy. It makes me feel like my multicolored lights with like every homemade ornament possible look a little um, cluttered, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, need... I think it took four members of staff to decorate oh, that I was about to tall ask. one okay. in St George's Hall. Really? That makes me so, feel better about mine. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel too Are you getting inspired by Windsor Castle Omen? Are you going to be decorating this year? I, look, I'm, I'm a boring purist. So my tree has, it is a, what do they call it? Flocked. So oh. it's got the snow on it oh, and lights. Okay. That's okay. it. Flock and lights, nothing else. That's a new one um, for me. I didn't know what flock was. I think that's the word, right? It's a flocked tree. It's when it comes with the fake snow on it. Okay. What, why am I trying to make it sound Why? Because <laughs> it's royal. <laughs> this, of course, has been, you know, a difficult time for the Queen. But I think to see her sort of persevering and keeping on has just been very inspiring to many. Of course, we saw her, you know, she's based at Windsor Castle. Today, she conducted the first ever virtual audiences mm. uh, from Buckingham Palace. Um, so this uh, saw a number of people receive their honours from the Queen, but via video. So the guests were at Buckingham Palace, but the Queen was via video at Windsor Castle. And this is very much Royal First, but this is sort of shows them getting on with things. And it hasn't been an easy month for the Queen. We just had news from Buckingham Palace that uh, she recently lost um, one of her last two dogs, uh, Vulcan, who is a doggy mm. like the other, uh, passed away in November, Buckingham Palace sources confirm. Um, and of course, as we know, the Queen hasn't been uh, taking on 
new pups uh, like she once did when she had a huge pack mm. around her. The group is getting much smaller and so she's now left with just one remaining animal which is Candy, also a doggy. And we know that she loves her dog so I think to see her still keeping on, keeping the smile on the face is very encouraging and it's you know good to see. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. It's got to be a very tough time you know, for everyone right now. The holidays is when they come together and especially you know for older people as well it's a chance to see everyone in their family and so to know that she's going to be more isolated this year, to know that she just lost a dog as well, uh, you know, it, it might be rough. So I am happy that they decorated it. And you know, I just had a thought as well, Ome. It's something that will be really interesting to see as as we move forward with this light at the end of the tunnel is uh, when the Queen and Philip are going to get vaccinated. You know, we just got this approval and the the first round, as you mentioned at the top of the show, people are going to start getting this vaccine early next week. I mean, that's incredible. That's, you know, happening in days. And uh, the first round, we understand, is going to go to elderly living in care homes. But um, very soon, the next people that get this vaccine are going to be people over 80, uh, mm -hmm. which, you know, obviously are the Queen and Philip, So uh, it'll be very interesting to see, you know, um, when they get it, how they get it, uh, if there's a show of it, if it helps encourage other people to go out and get the vaccine. I mean, there's definitely a, a lot of things to kind of be on the lookout for in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I would like to, I would like to think that would be something that the, uh, that Buckingham Palace would want to share publicly. Of course, the Queen very much led the country into mm -hmm. its first lockdown. And as we now come out of the second, we have the news of vaccinations taking place, knowing that she is in that sort of one of those first groups or at-risk groups that is um, able to get the vaccine earlier. It'll be very interesting to see how that happens. Of course, in the meantime, they remain socially distanced and somewhat isolated. Um, I did check in with royal sources to see if she would be seeing any members of the royal family over Christmas. And sources do say that Prince Charles and Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, will, although they'll be at Highgrove for Christmas Day, um, they do plan to see the Queen and Philip over the Christmas period, probably outside. Mm -hmm. um, but it's great to see that people will still be, you know, doing what they can to make yeah. that work. Yeah, as we all are, I guess. <laughs> mm. And speaking of Charles and Camilla, I, we had a few headlines this week that I did not expect <laughs> to see. Charles and Camilla go clubbing in uh, London. I mean, oh, but I mentioned this before, but I, I, I literally thought this was like an Onion article when I read it. I was like, there's no way this is true. What joke is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a really interesting engagement. Of course, uh, we haven't really seen the couple out together on an engagement for a long time. And so mm -hmm. to see them returning to work, of course, is very encouraging. But there was a purpose behind this visit. The Besides couple just them visited... going clubbing? Yeah. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. It was actually during the day, quite early oh, in the day. So okay. a little unconventional. But they visited a famous music venue in London, the 100 Club, mm. um, which is in central London. And bands like the Sex Pistols, Oasis and The Jam, they'd all performed there sort of back in the day, many, many years ago. And uh, so this was a chance for Charles and Camilla to not only see the work that's going into sort of reviving the nightlife industry here. Of course, as we know, uh, that sort of nightlife industry is one of the last sectors mm. to really come back into action here. You know, as London is in uh, tier two, which of course sees many restrictions, many parts of the UK are even further locked down than that. It will still be dark days ahead for some time for many parts of the music industry, but things are slowly moving 
back into place. We, of course, have had news that sports events can still take place with spectators, albeit very spaced out, and some music venues are now able to allow people to come in, seated, of course, far apart, to enjoy live music once again, which is fantastic. But I think what I really loved about this was that as they were shown around the club, uh, we uh, heard in some of the reporting that Charles and Camilla both reminisced about the 60s, oh. uh, which was, of course, their sort of days out on the town. I think Camilla said that she um, she spoke, I think, spoke about the pain of having a beehive hairdo, <laughs> which is certainly something I've, I've certainly not seen in my lifetime. Oh, I hope they re-release those photos. <laughs> I do love thinking about them um, as sort of young kids in London. And I love that of all of the royals that were promoting this, this sort of nightclub and the, the, the importance of hospitality industry, that it was Charles and Camilla that went out to, to the nightclub to, to reinforce this. <laughs> but this club, you know, there's great music history there. It's not just rock bands. I think also there's uh, blues, blues and jazz mm. legends such as B.B. King and so on. So it's really been uh, sort of a musical institution in the UK. And... You know, the nightlife economy, as I said, it's one of the last sort of sectors that still needs a roadmap for reopening, proper financial supports. It's a sector that has really suffered. It employs about one and a half million people in this country. At present, they say something like 50% of those people are at risk of losing their jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, clubs in smaller towns, and I'm talking about nightclubs here, they have not been able to reopen at all, have been shut since March. And that's very difficult that can only go yeah. on for so long and I know people who are running clubs in London who have been very successful over the years but are now in a very difficult place mm-hmm. where they're having to reassess the future of an entire business that has may have been grown over a decade and that's you know that's hard for, for many yeah well it's such a good point and I, and I do really appreciate that the, the royals are taking that up as something to raise awareness for I mean I know here in London even some of people in the hospitality industry when we went into our last lockdowns tried to sort of stage a demonstration and a protest just asking about you know why these strict restrictions on only certain industries and certain businesses and asking for more help from the government since they were being hurt so badly and so I hope that you know by Charles and Camilla doing this it makes that whole industry feel more seen to know that the royal family is listening is paying attention understands that this is a, a huge industry a ton of people you know in the uk that that are going through the, this tough time uh, so hopefully they feel like they do have some support from the royal family as well absolutely as you say you know as they, as they toured these venues and they didn't just visit the the 100 club they also went to the soho theater but charles wow. spoke about you know he's already spoken about his concerns for orchestras and theaters and how they'll survive the coronavirus crisis and on, on this Thursday visit, he said that he was praying that entertainment venues would be able to reopen as well soon because mm. so many are still st- struggling with that. Yeah, it's happening in the States and all around the world as well. It, it, it's it's so hard. You just hope that uh, people get the support they need and that hopefully in a few months, maybe, we can start, yeah. you know, making progress. I've got to admit, I miss going out. I, I know. Do miss it. <laughs> I I think I kind of reached a point in my life where I was sort of a little bored of some of the nightlife. But now, you know, now it's going to be much happier at the restaurant, yeah, and now yeah. I'm like, I miss it so much. It will be wild to think about though going out again and being in large groups and dancing. I mean, that seems like such a foreign concept right now, doesn't it? I was watching a TV show last night, and um, one of the scenes they were in a club, <laughs> and people were like dancing together. And like, I was you're like, you're too no, close no, together. No, 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 no. This Put lo- your mask on. <laughs> this looks wrong. <laughs> It's funny how, yeah, we've sort of normalized our our new normal 
Um, Maggie, speaking of TV, I wanted to ask you, now that you are in the thick of season four of The Crown, um, I, you know, I watched it a while ago, um, I wanted to get your opinion on a story that broke this week. It's kind of been building up for mm. a couple of weeks now, um, but has led to uh, Britain's culture secretary, Oliver Dowden, uh, calling for Netflix to label The Crown as fiction. He wants a health warning, and he <laughs> used that word. A health warning flashed up at the beginning of the show and t spoke to the Mail on Sunday, which, funnily enough, is running a campaign to have Netflix flash up a caution before uh, you start watching an episode on Netflix. Um, and he said that he was worried that viewers could mistake fiction for fact. <laughs> he said that this health warning needs to clarify that the series is, in his words, completely fictional. And I, I find this interesting for so many reasons. Firstly, because when have we ever had a conversation like this about a story or a film, mm -hmm. a book or a movie or whatever, based on a true story and had conversations about what scenes were embellished and what weren't. I think we've often just sort of taken that for what it is, which is a recreation, mm -hmm. a dramatic mm -hmm. recreation of something from the past. And I don't think it's really influenced too many people's opinions in a way that so many seem to think that The Crown might do. Well, it is interesting. I, I, I understand there could be frustration because I think a lot of people do watch The Crown and maybe if they're not familiar with the royal family and they almost think it's a, a docu-series in a sense and they assume things are 100% are, are accurate. Um, and, I, and I also did the sensitivity, especially now that I'm in season four. As you said, Omar, I've been binging this, so I'm really into The Crown right now. So now that I'm in season four uh, and you know they're dealing with people that are very much alive and part of the conversation today. I mean, you have the young Charles and the drama that he goes through. And so you can obviously see why Charles and many of you know his members of the royal family are concerned and care so much because they're being portrayed on screen. But like you said, I mean, a health warning? I don't know, that phrase seems quite extreme to put before a TV show. I think that most <laughs> people watching it understand that you know TV shows always uh, mess with chronological timelines and uh, you know maybe embellish certain things or or, or or work on dialogue that they they have an idea of but isn't a hundred percent accurate you know I think that's it's part of what making television is and of course there's so many you know based on true life events movies and things that go out there that also don't have health warnings you know they say based on true events uh, so I don't know you hope that people understand that this isn't a hundred percent accurate you know it's based on a family and I don't know about you but I'm constantly fact-checking and I feel like you watch the crown with your cell phone in one hand and like Wikipedia <laughs> pulled up checking absolutely every date and every everything that happened so you know you hope people learn from it and then it makes them want to learn more absolutely well I you know I reached out to Netflix to see if they would comment on this yeah. because it has the story has sort of reached perhaps a slightly silly silly territory now they're publicly sort of declining to comment on the matter hmm. um, but a source there did note that it has been widely reported for years that The Crown is a drama based on real life events, based on, and I think that that speaks for itself. You know, Robert Lacey, who was a historical consultant on, I think, the earlier seasons, himself had spoken about their sort of two versions of mm. the truth, the historical truth, and then, of course, the larger truth about the past. And, you know, this is one version of that story. and. I mean, I would argue a lot of the uh, coverage of 
royal stories that is often sort of goes out to the world through the pages of certain tabloids come with their own embellishments too mm. or rely on sources oh, that interesting. might not be Very as reliable as each other so the question is should we ha attach a health warning to all of this stuff i mean does this, <laughs> is, does this require a bigger conversation or are people just over thinking it i mean for Netflix's part, they seem to be completely chill because the show <laughs> is doing very well. Uh, I noticed they tweeted uh, just after this story broke, actually, um, that there's a documentary that's being recommended to pretty much anyone that has watched or has finished season four of The Crown. It's called Diana, in her own words. It's a 2018 production uh, made by the National Geographic Network, mm -hmm. not to be confused with a British production of the same title. And this is a 90 minutes docu-movie basically based on tapes that Diana had recorded for a friend to provide to Andrew Morton when he was writing a biography on her life. And what I found very interesting about this is that sometimes in almost exact detail, some of the moments that Diana talks about in this documentary are identical to that mm. uh, those that take place in the crown so i think that there is a danger here that by shouting from the rooftops that the crown is in is fiction we're also silencing someone's truth because a lot of this has come from people who are obviously very much at the heart of some of these storylines and that seems to be Netflix's approach because their tweet was the documentary Diana in her own words answers much of what mm. you're all asking that's some shade being thrown around Omen. <laughs> there's a little shade yeah. everywhere I, there's a story in the economist today you know the economist oh, never really touches royal royals, stories at all yeah. in fact we know the duchess of sussex reads the economist largely because it stays away <laughs> from royal drama but uh, the head of this story, it said, does it matter if the crown fictionalizes reality? Mm. And their takeaway was if the monarchy is so vulnerable that one man pretending to be Prince Charles mm. saying mean things to a fictional Princess Diana damages it gravely, then perhaps the royal family has outlived its usefulness. Wow. Strong words. I mean, that's their take. <laughs> um, but it's... It, I, I think what's in interesting about this, it has clearly has people divided. Mm -hmm. There are some people who feel very strongly about the attacks on the crown because, of course, as much as it's a blend of fiction, it's also a blend of fact. And I think many of those feel quite protective about those facts not being washed out by uh, completely labelling the entire show as fictional. Yeah. And I would imagine that this conversation will continue for some time because we've still got couple more seasons I was gonna say we might it might only get worse and worse I think you make a really good point though you know I think in general the show is not a hundred percent either way it's not a hundred percent accurate and it's also not a hundred percent false so people have to realize that when they watch it and take it for what it is maybe do some of their own background research to learn a little bit more about the historical events they portray and um, at the end of the day, look at the conversation we're having about it. I mean, talk about something that, that gets people hot and bothered. This is something that everyone wants to have a part of right now. Yeah, and I hope, you know, if, if anything, I hope that it does make people want to dive into mm -hmm. some of the history. There are great books out there documenting uh, every decade of mm -hmm. the House of Windsor. And, you know, this is an opportunity to really, as you say, you know, we're watching the show, you're Googling things at the same time. Mm -hmm. There's a lot out mm -hmm. there to be consumed. Um, 
much of it true. Um, so let, let, let the crown not be your only introduction to the royal family. And we do have many people who have joined uh, the AirPod as listeners because of the crown. Wow. Um, so it's, Welcome, you know, I, I think, <laughs> exactly. You know, the crown has certainly won the royal family, many, many followers mm-hmm. uh, anyway. And as we know, royal watchers uh, tend to have their own opinions on everything. Yeah. And that is often how the community keeps so busy. Isn't that the truth, Elmer? <laughs> Well, after the break, we'll be catching up with the Duke of Sussex, who took part in a discussion to launch Waterbear, a streaming service dedicated to documentaries about environmental issues, conservation and climate crisis. He says that fatherhood has galvanised his environmental efforts and warns against leaving our world on fire. Welcome back. Well, earlier this week, Prince Harry made a passionate call for action rather than words when it comes to tackling environmental issues and the climate crisis. The Duke of Sussex was uh, voicing his support for a brand new platform, a streaming platform dedicated to climate documentaries, and said that protecting the natural world needs doers rather than just those learning from the sidelines. And that is exactly what the Water Bear Network, which think of it as Netflix meets do-gooding in one, it's the first or the world's first interactive streaming platform dedicated to the future of our planet, something very much up his street. And in a conversation with the founders of the Water Bear Network, he opened up in a way that we haven't heard for some time about the importance of protecting the natural world. Well, for me, it's about putting the do's behind the say's. Um, and that is and that is something which um, Water Bear is, is, is doing, is going to be doing. There are so many documentaries that are happening. I, mean, I can always imagine whether it's an individual, couples, families, whatever it is, sitting there watching this stuff and going, okay, you've now just made me more aware of a, of a, of a global issue. Now I'm quite depressed. I'm going to go and make myself a meal and probably forget about it. Whereas with Water, with Water Bear now, to have all that content in one place, to be able to have that option at the end as, as a call to action, because people want to know, how can I make a difference? How can I help? And I really am energized and, and full of optimism now to know that we have the tools, we have the, the, the mindset to be able to make this change. And that was one of the reasons why, uh, why we started up Travelist, because for me, again, it's about the prosperity of people and communities all over the world. As well as sharing his own views on the current climate crisis, Harry also got pretty open about fatherhood, showing that having Archie's really galvanised his efforts to tackle environmental issues. He says the world is, in his words, on fire at the moment, and he's worried about having to leave that in its current state to not just his own child, but to children everywhere. You know, being in, being in nature is the most healing, healing part of life. And I think I truly believe that that's one reason why it's there. But the moment you become a father, um, everything really does change because then you start to realize, well, what is, what is the point in bringing a, a new person into this world when they get to your age and, there's, and, and, and it's on fire? Yeah, we can't steal their future. We really can't. That's not the role. That's not the job we're here for. But I, I've always believed that hopefully we can leave the world in a better place than when we found it. So I think we really need to take a moment and think, well, how do we get what we need and, and, and have our sort of our, our desire fulfilled without 
taking from you know our children and, and, and generations to come. Well, you can watch Harry's conversation in full over at waterbear.com. It took place with the chief executive of the streaming service, Ellen Windermuth, who's based over in Amsterdam. We caught up on Zoom earlier today. I wanted to find out a bit more about the collaboration with Harry and whether we might see him back on the network in the future. Firstly, well, the congratulations on the launch of Waterbear. Great you. press. Everyone's talking about it. That's always a good thing. Yeah. I love yeah. the fact that it's something that is it empowers the viewer to not only come away with the information required and, and, and links to res- further resources, but also the ability to take their own action as well, which yeah. is often the missing step when we read an article or we watch a documentary on television or something. It often fills us with that feeling. Yes, thank you for that. And thanks for, for, for saying that. Um, it took us 10 years to develop it because I had the thought uh, to do Water Bear about 10 years ago when I realized that uh, there is no place to take action. Um, I've, I'm a natural history filmmaker, producer, and I've run a media company called Off the Fence for 28 years. Uh, and in that time, I really thought as nice as it is to produce for the platforms and to produce for television, there really has to be a place where the viewer can share my world Um, And once you share my world, you want to engage and there's a very easy way to engage because you discover your passion and that passion might be, you know, the plight of the platypus, the passion might be climate, the passion might be LGBTQ, but there's no place to connect if if, if you're not in the know, if you're not in the documentary arena. Uh, So that's why I thought I'd like to share this world uh, but we need the technology to be interactive so that people can really engage. So it's Water Bear is not um, really comparable with uh, a general entertainment uh, uh, platform or with uh, uh, any kind of app in the uh, sort of eco or SDG arena at the moment. We really wanted to make it a blend of great storytelling that allows people to engage while they're watching and of course this is you know you are you know water bear is a network um yes or has a network of partners so people are immediately able to be taken to the right place uh, should they want to learn more or of oh, course yeah. take that action and you know i don't think there really has been anything like this up until this point and i think the ability to give that power to to the to the viewer is is very exciting um there of course are some great names uh, supporting this project and of course most uh, notable to listeners of this show is the duke of sussex prince harry who yes. uh, generously lended his support right at the start of this um yes. and of course has been uh, the subject of many conversations throughout the week um i watched the the conversation with himself and yourself uh, on on the network. And I think for for a couple that have really spoken about uh, uh, the importance of community and activism, and of course, uh, being someone that does rather than says, um, and of course, Harry's interest in that tech space as well. We know that they've been very uh, involved in that arena. It seemed like the perfect fit. Yes. I, you know, we find Prince Harry very inspiring. 
um, because he's been a lean-in conservationist way before others have. Um, so instead of just lending his name to an NGO or you know going to the right dinners, he's been fantastic and he's well known in our circles uh, for uh, being very hands-on. As you know, he's the uh, president of the African Parks uh, NGO, uh, which is a Dutch NGO, but they um, work on managing many, many different uh, parks in uh, national parks in uh, Africa, all over Africa. So he uh, really, that's also how we met. He's just been so uh, fantastically hands-on and active with them. And we thought that is the kind of person who represents the new generation of um, prominent conservationists in the world. The, but the conversations must have started quite early about this. What was his initial reaction to the concept of water bear? Well, like you, um, he said that uh, there was a need for this. This is not an entertainment platform. This, you know, doesn't sit by side by side a television channel. This is a different animal. Um, and he responded to that right away, saying that that he's felt for a long time that this was needed. Um, and he was happy that we had actually spent the time on developing the technology. And of course, the reaction to the, his, his support, his public support to this, but also uh, the sort of, I guess, I wouldn't call it a mini doc, but of course the mini presentation that is available with Prince Harry yeah. uh, on the network has of course driven a lot of people to that. Um, has it been a real boost to the launch of Water Bear to have the support from the Duke of Sussex in such a public way. Have you seen the impact of that? We have. Uh, we've we've seen enormous support. Um, we already within our own tribe of documentary filmmakers and conservationists all over the world. We we already have a lot of support for Water Bear, but uh, the Duke, of course, brings a whole other element to it um, and and a much wider audience. Um, so I think that people are finding Water Bear who normally maybe wouldn't know where to look. Um, you can find it on the App Store, you can find it on Google Play if you have an Android, or you can just sign up on waterbear.com. And we've looked at the numbers and it's been fantastic. People really have found us and not only found us, but signed up and they're starting to play with it and become active and we're getting wonderful feedback and that's I think very much uh, due to uh, uh, the Duke's involvement. It's obviously you know this is the first phase of it can you talk me through how that growth will look over the sort of months ahead will that network continue to grow of partners um, and of course the content available? Yes uh, most definitely what we're doing is we've initially launched in eight uh, countries eight English-speaking countries we're going to be adding countries, uh, but we're also launching in the first quarter uh, only in the area of biodiversity, which is, you know, our story, Water Bear tells its own story, but the Water Bear story starts with uh, uh, the human relationship with nature. Third quarter will be dedicated to circularity, which is all about waste and plastics and, and, and circular economy. And the fourth quarter will be dedicated to community. So over those four quarters, we will be onboarding uh, from the 80 NGOs that we've already onboarded for biodiversity. We'll be onboarding many more 
to fill the, 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 the need for people to know more about what work is being done in the field on all the other three areas. So the climate NGOs, the community NGOs and the circularity NGOs. Um, so that will grow. And the other thing I'm super excited about is we're introducing a TVOD section to Waterbear where you, you can actually rent uh, these really big groundbreaking uh, feature documentaries that are um, you know, lauded to be addressing these uh, so sustainable development goals uh, in the most effective way, the most inspiring feature documentaries. So we'll have those on starting January. Uh, we're starting with uh, e-commerce in February, and we will also be adding uh, a travel element, travel and volunteering. And we have a live function that will come to life in the new year as well. So we'll have really the whole gamut of experience and how to experience our world and become active and become a member uh, of, of our world. That's really exciting. And there is already so much great content on that. I watched uh, Africa's Hidden Sea Forest, which oh, was just so, so, so beautiful. I've got to ask, you, of course, um, had the support of a prominent member of the royal family and would have no doubt also seen some of the hysterical commentary that comes when a member of the royal family loses <laughs> anything in this day and age. Um, there, of course, has been a lot of focus in some of the yeah. British tabloids on Prince yes. Harry's comments on uh, the impact of COVID-19 uh, and yeah. the effect that the impact that it's had on the environment during, yeah. during his discussion with yourself. Were you surprised to see certain things taken out of context or the discussions that followed on certain morning television shows or so on? <laughs> I must say that I thought it was hilarious. Um, for our video to be described as a as something resembling a hostage video, and <laughs> what what I'd like to say is I, I laughed very hard, and my my colleagues at Waterbear laughed very hard about that because um, I understand it. Um, but at the same time, we are experiencing COVID. Um, we we have to do things with the materials we have at hand, and if there's very little time, we have to do some things on Zoom. So I, I would have a very healthy defense on that point going, it's, it's much better to have it on a Zoom rather than not to have it at all because what Prince Harry said is so significant. It's so meaningful. He's such a great young leader um, that I don't think you can knock him in any shape or form. Absolutely. It seems, going slightly off topic here it seems to be a trend in certain sections of the press to use the term woke as an insult that perhaps being too aware of the injustices and uh, some of the atrocities going on in our world um is actually not a positive attribute to carry yeah. and i think we've seen that often you know weaponized against uh, the sussexes and other members of the royal family i mean we can yeah. go far back to the days of Prince Charles first speaking about conservation absolutely. when people called absolutely. him a lunatic. Yeah, absolutely. This is just, I mean, the naysayers are just people that um, I think are tiring. And uh, I think I'd much rather focus on the people who love and respect people that actually pick up, you know, pick up and go. They pull their socks up. They get their boots on the ground and they go and do it. Um, and I, I think that's a far, far better thing to focus on 
and all this cynical silliness. Absolutely. Well, of course, there are so many things coming up on the Water Bear Network. Prince Harry, uh, very famously now, is the one part owner of his own production company. Is mm -hmm. it possible that we might see further collaborations up ahead? Is this the beginning of a journey together? We have no idea. Um, and, and, and the discussion wasn't had with anything other than uh, the meeting of the minds on the launch of Water Bear. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Ellen. It's been really interesting to hear much more about the Water Bear service. As I said, it really is worth just checking out for yourself. Check it out on the App Store on iPhone or Android. Um, of course, we, I didn't mention this earlier, but this is all free to access at the moment. Yeah. And so there really is no excuse. Fantastic. Omid, what a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ellen. I really appreciate you giving the time. You know, we saw Prince Charles launch uh, or, or support the launch of a similar initiative last year. And it's great to see these new groundbreaking platforms giving people opportunity to not only familiarise themselves with the issues, but also empower them to create that change. And as, as we know, Maggie, that's exactly what the Sussexes have always tried to champion. It's sort of activating people to sort of get up and do the work, not just uh, listen. Yeah, but what I love so much is that, that, that saying that, you know, both I think the Sussexes keep reiterating and it's about action, not just talking. And so it's great to see someone actually, you know, doing something and, and taking those action steps. Yeah, this is something we see time and time again from members of the royal family. Last week, of course, we were talking about the Duchess of Cambridge, who had uh, sort of continued with her landmark work on the early years. And just after the episode aired, uh, Kensington Palace released quite a fun Q&A mm. moment with Kate on their Instagram account. It was a chance for followers of uh, the Duchess of Cambridge and of Kensington Palace to ask some of their pro most probing questions, or perhaps not so, because I'm sure they were heavily vetted, um, <laughs> about Kate's work on the early years. And I haven't really seen this done with a member of the royal family ever, mm. I don't think. And I thought it was quite a, a genius moment for her, because I think, you know, sometimes it's hard to get a feeling of who someone is when our only sort of experiences of seeing them speak is through a speech mm, mm -hmm. or something a on a teleprompter or something like that. And so this was Kate, very candid, talking about her work with the early years. Um, but I think what interests everyone in this video was as she scrolled through the questions on her phone, uh, I think her phone flashed the camera for a second. And I think a lot of the websites suddenly picked up on these screenshots off her phone screen, <laughs> uh, which displayed some of her most used emojis, or what people believe to be her most used emojis. I'm still of the belief that you're skeptical. You probably someone. <laughs> so, what were they? Well, I think on the top of the list was the red uh, cursing oh, face. Stop! I love that. <laughs> Oh, I hope that is her first used emoji. I hope this is real. Yeah, I think the alien invader or the space mm. invader was also up there on top, which, again, I don't, I can't see how, you don't see Kate using that. how these <laughs> were favourites. I, I would imagine they would be more like flowers. And, and like the lovey know. face. Okay. Wait, what's your most used emoji? Let's look right now. Oh, good question. My, probably the crying one. Oh, no, crying laughing. Crying laughing? <laughs> It's the like the the tilted crying yes, laugh, the like yes, tilted yes. crying laughing one. Mine. And then the one my second is holding my hand up to say hi. Oh, that's like cute. That I like that 
one. Hi, Omid. <laughs> Mine are consistently you? the, um, the, the uh, how do you describe it? The, um, the happy face with happy hands. You know, the one that's like the blushing cheeks with the little hands up that are oh, waving back yeah. and forth. I use that one a lot. <laughs> and then also the one, though, that like the grimace where you've made a mistake, where it's like, uh-oh, apparently I make a lot. <laughs> apparently oh, yeah. I apologize a lot over text. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that's, I, I pretty much have ones. the same ones yeah. in, in rotation at all times. Yeah, yeah. Although I now have, I seem to have the, the, the needle. Hmm. Oh, one. for a vaccine? The vaccination oh, one good emoji is, is, is cropping up quite high. It's, it's of course, been um, in a number of my group chats. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Some excitement. <laughs> uh, what was great about this Kate Q&A was that someone asked her, for some advice on managing toddler tantrums. And Kate had answered all of these questions very candidly with a lot of insight into the work that she's doing. And this one actually left her very stumped. How do you manage toddler tantrums in your household, <laughs> especially with multiple children? Yes, that's a hard one. I'd also like to ask the experts <laughs> myself. I love how genuine that answer is because at the end of the day, like, who does know? What what parent actually knows how to handle a toddler tantrum? It's one of life's exactly. mysteries. Exactly. Many, many <laughs> mysteries, Maggie. <laughs> well, I think that takes us up to the end of the show. And thank you for sticking with us this week, seeing us through to the end. I know there's uh, many new listeners with us at the moment. So thanks for joining us. On this ride, we've got some fun things coming up over the weeks ahead, Maggie, uh, including a Christmas special. Yes. I think it feels about time to start plugging that. Yeah, take this jolly so on the road. Send us <laughs> exactly. Send us all your burning Christmas questions. If there's anything you want to know about how the royals celebrate Christmas, what they do at Christmas, traditions, what they eat, stories from the past, maybe something you've seen on the Crown mm. that you're not sure is true or isn't uh, during the festive season. Throw them over our way, either to Maggie at Maggie Rooley on Twitter or myself at Scobie on Twitter and uh, use the hashtag the AirPod and we'll add them to the list. I'm so excited to hear what questions people ask us, Omen. I'm going to have some to add to the list as well. Some some jolly festive questions. <laughs> well, it is always so oh, much fun. Can, can I get a preview? Oh, a preview. Um, okay, I'm very curious about the type of decorations Harry and Meghan are going to use this year in California because I'm curious if they're going to go more American style. I have been told that Christmas cards in particular with photos on it are very American. And so you're going to get one, don't you worry. I put a lot of photos on my Christmas card. <laughs> and all of the Brits in my office say, oh, we don't do that, Maggie. We don't put photos on our cards. So I'm curious to see now that Harry and Meghan are living in the States, if they're going to put photos on their Christmas card. This is what I want to know this year. Oh, interesting. Well, I guess we'll, we'll have, have to, to see. You know, see. They have shared, they've shared their Christmas card with us in the past. Um, and of course it was super cute because it had Archie Obviously. right at the center of it. In fact, the Sussexes were out spotted out shopping for their Christmas oh. tree this week. Um, I, the news came out simply because a, uh, someone on Twitter who happened to work <laughs> at the, the lots in uh, Santa Barbara where they bought their tree was sold. And of course it then sparked a flurry of news stories, but you know, like everyone else, they're getting ready for the holidays. They've got their tree. <laughs> Exactly. All right, guys. Well, look after yourselves and each other. Uh, thanks again for listening. Maggie, it's been a pleasure. Oh, as always. always. 
<laughs> See you guys later.